Amen. Going to begin reading this morning in Mark 8 and uh, verse 27. Mark 8 and verse 27 through verse 30. All right. Have you found it? Everybody, if you got it, say amen. amen. Got it? All right, Mark 8, 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by, and by the way, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he said, Jesus said to them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answering and said to him, Thou art the Christ. Now if you'll flip over to Matthew, I want to read this same incident, this same narrative, and uh, in Matthew's gospel as well. And Matthew gives a little bit more detail in his gospel than what Mark does in his. And so in Matthew's gospel, chapter 16 and verse 13, it says that when Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And he said, Some say that you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah are one of the prophets. And he said to them, But whom say ye that I am? Ask the same question. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here is what Matthew adds to what Jesus, what Jesus' response was to Peter's, to, to, to Peter's exclamation and confession of Jesus as the Christ. And he says, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I want to talk to you this morning on the greatest question of all time. The greatest question. The Bible's full of questions. The Lord asks questions all throughout the Word of God. But I believe that this question that was asked of Simon Peter is a question that's asked of all of us today. And it's the greatest question of all time, and how you and I answer that is going to determine our eternity. Amen? Whom do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Father, we thank you today for your precious Holy Spirit. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for what you mean to our lives today. We ask for your anointing this morning of the Holy Spirit to help us to minister your Word today to say what you would have us to say, and uh, just to open every heart to re be receptive to what you have and what the Spirit of God would have to say to your church. In Jesus' name, we give you praise for it. And everybody said amen. amen and amen. A little boy came home from school, and his father asked him, it was time for final exams and things, and his father said, well, how did you do on your exams today? And the boy answered his dad, and he said, Well, I'm afraid I flunked my history test. Well, the dad said, Son, you need to be a little more positive. And he said, Okay, I'm positive I flunked my history test. <laughs> well, Jesus had been teaching his disciples for almost three years, and here he's giving them a little bit of a final exam, and he asked his disciples two very important questions. The first question that Jesus asked was what others had to say about him. He said, who do men say? What is everybody saying about me? What do others think about me? But then the second question that Jesus asked to them had to do with their personal opinion of who Jesus is. And he asked them, but who do you say 
that I am? And the answer to that question, who do you say that Jesus is? The answer to that question, I believe, is, if, uh, is of eternal significance. Whom do men say that I am has to do with the opinions of the world. And I can tell you that there are a multitude of opinions out there. If you go around and asking people what they think about Jesus or who is Jesus to them, you're going to get a plethora of different answers to that question because different people think different things or believe different things about Jesus and who, who Jesus is. Jesus asked these disciples, who are men saying that I am? And, and they answered, well, some are saying you're John the Baptist. Some are saying that you're Elijah. And some think that you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets, you know, that's come back to life, come back from the dead. And there are so many different opinions that people have today about who Jesus is. There's probably a lot of different ideas maybe in this room this morning about actually who Jesus is, but we need to make sure we know who Jesus is today. I mean, if you would talk about different religions today, various different religions, and you know, the Muslims, uh, those who are involved with, uh, with Islam, uh, if you ask them who Jesus is, they say that Jesus was a prophet, but that He wasn't the Son of God and that He wasn't crucified on a cross. They don't believe in the crucifixion. If you would ask a Hindu, and by the way, the God of, the, uh, the God of Islam, Allah, is not the God of the Bible. I just want to add that this morning. Amen. Because they don't believe that Allah had a son. They don't believe Jesus uh, has any do, anything to do with salvation whatsoever. The Hindu, if you were to ask him, the Hindu believes that Jesus is just one of a million different gods. The Mormon believes that Jesus was the first baby born to God in heaven and that he is actually the spirit brother of Lucifer. And I don't know if you uh, realize that, that belief that they have or not, but that's what they believe. The Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus was once the archangel Michael before he came to earth. And so in the view of the Jehovah Witnesses, Jesus Christ is not God manifest in the flesh. And I will tell you that you cannot be saved believing any of that. You can't go to heaven believing any of that. Of course, we know that the atheist denies Jesus altogether. He doesn't believe that Jesus existed or that Jesus was God or the Son of God. The agnostic just does know what to believe. They don't know whether it's, they just don't know whether, whether it's true or not about Jesus. They don't know what to believe about Jesus. And then when you would ask society and you think about our culture today and you think about society, most of society believes that Jesus was a great teacher. He was a good man. Uh, that he had good ideas about loving your fellow man and about being good to others. But they, you know, a lot of people in society just don't believe that Jesus is the only Savior. They don't believe that he's the only way to get to heaven. There are so many, there are so many different ideas today that you can ask people, what you believe, what do you believe? How do you believe uh, that, that you, what do you, would you need to do to make heaven your home? And you're going to get all kinds of different answers. But most of society today believes that if you just live a good life and take the principles and the teachings that Jesus has given us in the Gospels and just apply those teachings to your life, just try to be a better person and follow the golden rule. How many has ever heard that? You know, do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. And those good teachings, teachings and love your fellow man and treat others good and give to charities and just do good stuff. If you will do that, you know, you, you'll just be all right. But they don't really believe that Jesus is the only Savior or that He was God manifest in the flesh or that He's the only way to heaven. But, you know, according to the Word of God, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He is the only way to make heaven your home. He's the only way to be saved. And only comes, salvation only comes through Him. And, uh, but Jesus asked them, who do men say that I am? And then they gave him their answers. 
And then in verse 29, Jesus said, But who do you say that I am? And here's the important question. And Peter nailed it. Peter said, answered Jesus and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus, Matthew records that Jesus responded to Peter's answer. And Jesus said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father which is in heaven. What, was, what Jesus was saying to Peter was... Right answer, good answer. Peter, you got it right. You aced the quiz, amen. You got 100%, I'm gonna give you an A plus. You got the right answer. But Matthew goes on, you know, to say, to say something else that Jesus said to Peter. When he told Peter, yes, that's the right answer. And my Father in heavens, the one that revealed that to you, he went on to say to Peter, he said this, and he said, I say unto you that you are Peter. And upon this rock, and now listen, he's not talking about he's building the church on, on Peter. Are you listening to me? He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, you know, the greatest, and, and here he's revealing to Peter that not Peter, not Simon Peter being the foundation of the church, because he actually uses two different Greek words here. He uses the word petros for Peter, which means a piece of a rock. But then when he says upon this rock, he uses the word petra, which is a massive rock. The rock and the foundation that the church is built on is not Simon Peter. This is the verse that, that, you know, the, that Catholicism uses to say that Peter is the, was the first pope of the church and that Jesus was giving Peter the keys to bring people into the kingdom of God. But the church is not built upon Simon Peter. It's not built upon a man. It's not built upon a pope or a vicar of Christ or anything. The church of the Lord, the true church, the church universal is built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone he is the rock and he is the foundation of the church. And the greatest organization in the world today on the planet earth, on the face of the earth, is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And, and, and I believe that. Not only is the church, we refer to the church as an organization. I don't really like that word. It's, it's really an organism because the church, is a, the church is alive. It's not just some kind of a dead organization, but the church is a living entity. Amen? And it's founded upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest, the greatest uh, organization on the face of the the earth is the church. There's nothing on the earth in the eyes of God that's more important than His church. There's nothing that Jesus loves any more than He loves His church. Are you listening to me? And when I'm talking about the church, we're not talking about a brick and mortar building, but we're talking about those who make up the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, which are those who have been redeemed by the the blood of Jesus Christ. Now I want to say something this morning and I, and, I, and I want you to listen to what I have to say because I believe we hear so many people today talking about how much they love Jesus but they really don't care much about His church. And I believe that it's absolutely foolish that to talk about how much we love Jesus and not to love what Jesus loves. And Jesus loves the church. Are you with me this morning? Jesus loves His church. He loves the church so much that He gave Himself for it. Paul gives the analogy in Ephesians chapter 5 of, of, of the relationship of a husband and wife. And he said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He may present it to Himself 
himself a glorious church, not having spot or a wrinkle or any such thing that it may be holy and without a blemish. Hallelujah. I want you to know Jesus loved the church that so much that he gave himself for the church. And the church, the church, the true church has been purchased and bought by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So if you love Jesus, you're going to love what Jesus loves. If you love Jesus, you're going to love his church. It's impossible to be in love with Jesus and not be in love with his church. And that's true. God has a plan for each and every one of you today. He has a plan for your life. And I can tell you what that plan is. Not to detail because every person has, you know, the details of your plan. The plan God has for you can be different as far as your callings and your occupations and different things. But there's a general will of God that He has for you today, for everyone in this building today. And that is, here's God's will, here's God's plan for you. You want to know what it is? Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. All right? His plan for you, number one, is that you be saved. Amen? That's number one. His plan is that you be saved. And secondly, His plan for you is that you be an active participant in a local New Testament church. I'm getting a couple of hand claps, and that's okay. Praise God. I want to say that again. His will for you is to be saved, to be born again, to be washed in the blood, to have your sins washed away. And His will for you then, after that takes place, is for you to be an active participant in a local, local New Testament church. And as I said, it's impossible to love Jesus and not love His church. It all goes together. And so that's the important thing. God wants you to be a part of a church. Now, I'm not talking about uh, signing a membership card. And we have membership available here, you know, for you to apply for membership, to give you voting privileges. That's not necessary for you to go to heaven. That's not necessary for you to be saved, amen? But, you know, if I believe that it's important and, and it's good if a person wants to be a, a part of a church and, and uh, be involved in the church to take ownership in it, so to speak, that they can become a member of the church. But that's not what we're talking about that gets you to heaven. Church membership doesn't get you to heaven. Confirmation into a particular church doesn't get you into heaven. Nothing, the, the, the church cannot save you. How many is listening to me? It doesn't matter today whether, you know, what, what denomination a person is a part of. And so many times we get, we get hooked up with that and we get, um, we get bound up in denominations. Well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm an I'm Assembly of God, or I'm Church of God, or I'm Baptist, or I'm Methodist, or I'm Presbyterian, or I'm a Catholic. You know, listen, it doesn't make any difference. It does all of that stuff. Those are just tags that people put on, uh, put on you. But uh, the, what makes the difference is, do you belong? Doesn't matter if you belong to Abundant Life Family Church. Doesn't matter if you belong to, you know, uh, uh, the Methodist Church. What matters today is this. Do you belong to the true church? Do you belong to the true church? What is the true church? Is it this church? Is it the church down the street? The true church is the church that is made up of every man, every woman, every boy, every girl that has made that confession that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I accept Him and receive Him as my Lord and my my Savior. I believe what he did for me at Calvary. Amen? And I accept that and receive that into my life. It's not some kind of plan or program that you can go through with a particular church that makes you a Christian, that writes your name down in heaven. There's no ceremony that you can be involved in that will change your life and turn your life around. It's all about being born again and being a child of God. 
Amen. So when we understand what the true church is, how do I get into the true church? How do I get into the right church, the true church? Well, there first of all, to be in God's church, there has to be a saving confession that is made by that individual. Are you listening to me? What must you believe? Is it important? Let me ask this question. Is it important what you believe? Because I've heard people say before, well, you know, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in what you believe. And that's a false statement. That's a statement and a belief that has led a lot of people, um, a, a lot of people to hell because they were sincere in what they were believing, but what they were believing was not right. They were sincere, but they were wrong in their belief. And the Bible says that there is a way that seems right, but the end thereof is the way of death. So it's important that we know what we believe. And so what you believe is important. And not only what you believe, but what you confess is also important in order to be saved. To be a part of the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ and to have your name written down in the Lamb's book of life, you have to believe the right thing and you have to act on that belief in order to be saved. Come on, somebody. Now, I know this is simple, but I think we're living in the day today where we've got to get right back to the basics and tell people what it, what it takes to get born again. Too many the, the churches today are being filled with people that go to church every Sunday morning and sing the songs and go through the motions, but they don't know Jesus. So it's important. Number one, that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. You have to believe that to be saved. No other way to be saved without believing that. That's where you put your faith. You've got to be a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ in who He is. And I know people say, oh, I believe in Jesus. And a lot of people believe in Jesus, they, and they will say they believe in Jesus was the Son of God, but they believe that the same way they believe George Washington was the first president of the United States. It's just a historical belief. And I'm not talking about that kind of belief. I'm talking about a heartfelt belief of who Jesus is and what Jesus did for us on that cross. There's no salvation outside of the cross of Jesus Christ. Just confessing Jesus and saying, well, I believe in Jesus, it takes more than that. So Jesus asked Peter, you know, who do men say that I am? But then he asked Peter, he says, well, Peter, who do you say that I am? So there was a personal, a personal conviction that was, that was brought into Peter's life about the, Lord Jesus, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what every one of us has to be brought to, that personal conviction of who Jesus Christ is. And that's what Jesus was bringing Peter to. He said, Peter, what do you personally say about me. Come on somebody. What do you personally say about me? What is your conviction about me? And Peter said, well, I personally believe it doesn't matter what everybody else says. It doesn't matter what the world is saying. It doesn't matter what society is saying. But he said, I personally myself believe that you are the Christ. That means the anointed one, the Messiah. I believe that you are the Christ and I believe that you are the son of the living God. And Jesus said, that's it, man, you got it. Yeah. Woo! It was a personal conviction. Now, how did Peter know that? Did he get it off of the internet? <laughs> no. But how did he know that? 
How did he know that? Did he take a poll to figure it out? Did he just come up with this on his own? No. You know how Peter knew this? He had a revelation. Come on now, I, I want you to get this. He had a revelation from God about who Jesus was. And Jesus said, you're blessed, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. In other words, you didn't get this from somebody else. Nobody told you this. Nobody taught you this. It wasn't revealed by flesh and blood, but my Father which is in heaven, He has revealed this to you. It was a direct revelation from God to the spirit of Peter, letting him know that who Jesus was, that He was the Son of God, that He was the Christ, that He was the Messiah, that He was the Savior of the world. And can I tell you something today? Listen to me, saints. You will never know, nobody will ever know Jesus except there be a divine revelation by the Spirit of God into their heart and their life, letting them know who Jesus is, who He really is. Amen. I remember, you know, I can remember as a little boy growing up, you know, being in church and stuff and being taught about Jesus and singing the songs, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. And we all sang those songs and we all knew about Jesus and we all were taught in Sunday school about Jesus. But you know what? I remember that there came a day in my life when the Holy Spirit reached into my heart and got a hold of me and gave me a personal conviction that it was just not the little baby Jesus we were talking about. It was just not the Jesus of a storybook or the Jesus that I'd read about in a Bible story or been taught about in Sunday school. But the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and let me know that this is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the only way to be saved. And if you're going to make heaven, you've got to know personally this Lord Jesus Christ. It was a conviction of the Holy Spirit. We don't hear too much about the convicting power of the Holy Spirit anymore. Many churches don't have the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. But we need that because there must be a personal conviction of the Holy Spirit about who Jesus is in you, to you and in your life. And it's a personal thing. You know, the Lord said that no one comes to the Father except, or no one comes to Him. Jesus said, no one comes to me except unless the Father which sent me draw Him. So there has to be a drawing of the Holy Spirit. I hear people say, you know, well, I'll get saved when I get ready. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll get saved. If I feel like, if I get sick and I think I'm going to die, then I'll turn things over to Christ. Let me tell you something. Nobody gets saved unless the Holy Spirit is dealing with them and drawing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. There has to be a personal conviction of who Jesus is and the fact that that individual needs Jesus Christ. No one can speak for you. Nobody can get saved in your place. Nobody can believe for you. That's why infant baptism and christening is wrong. It's not found in the Word of God. You can't take a little baby into a ceremony and sprinkle some water on its head and have have its godfather or whoever to confess that baby's sins and get absolution of the sins of that baby by somebody else. That's not found in the Word of God. That baby's got to grow up and come to the place place of a personal conviction of the Holy Spirit in their life and accept personally Jesus Christ as their own Lord and Savior. Are you with me? Hallelujah. You've got to know who He is. Doesn't matter what anybody else says, but there has to be a personal conviction. But then there also has to be a personal confession. We're, at the, we're, in, the, we're in kindergarten this morning. We're, we're back to the basics. Sometimes you just got to go back to the basics. Amen? Was it Vince Lombardi? Was it Vince Lombardi? They, had a, had, they just weren't playing right. They had a bad season. He goes in and he, he meets with the team and he's got a football in his hand and he says, Gentlemen, this is a football. 
<laughs> what are they doing? They're going back. We're going to start from scratch. We're starting from the beginning. And I think sometimes we in the church have to be brought back to the basic rudiments of our faith and back to understand what it really takes. I don't want anybody to miss heaven. I don't want anybody to go through life thinking they're saved and really not knowing personally the Lord Jesus Christ in their life. So there has to be. Here's what Jesus was pointing out to Peter. There was a personal conviction, but then there had to be a personal confession that was made by Peter to the Lord. Thou art the Christ. He opened his mouth and made a confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You can have the conviction, but if you don't make the confession, the conviction won't save you. How do you get saved? It's very easy. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you will confess, are you listening to me? If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That, that can take place any time, any place, any particular given moment when the Holy Spirit's dealing with people. I know of people that have, have made that confession and accepted Jesus driving down the highway. I've known people to get of people that, that made an altar out on an old stump out in the woods and knelt down and gave their heart to Jesus. Howard Gillum gave the testimony many times of the old yellow chair that he knelt down in that by that old yellow chair. I talked about that at his at his memorial service. But the old yellow chair that he knelt down uh, at in bond tear and, and turned his heart and life over G, to Jesus Christ and made that confession of his faith. And that can happen anywhere. You don't have to be in a church to be born again, to be saved, to make that personal confession of Christ Jesus. But I will say this, you cannot make that confession and then go on being a secret disciple. I'm getting a few amens, I'm surprised. But you can't. There has to come a time when that confession that you make of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that confession has to be made public. Now see, we're getting away from that in a lot of the churches today because they'll have a little card there and the people will fill it out and, and they'll pray a mass prayer for everybody and have everybody to repeat it. And there's times you have to do that and then they'll say if you, on that card it says if you prayed that prayer for the first time, check that box and then they'll tell you if you check that box, you are now saved. Glory to God. Is that person saved? Only God knows. But if they are, there will be a public confession of that salvation before everybody. Jesus made that statement. Now, here Peter's making a public confession. Is this all right? Is anybody getting anything out of it? Jesus, Peter made a public, a public personal confession of Jesus. And, and Jesus said this in Matthew 10. He said, whosoever therefore shall confess me. Now listen, Jesus said, whosoever shall confess me before men. Him will I confess before my Father is in heaven, but whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I deny before my Father is in which is in heaven. See, a faith, listen to me, a faith that will not lead to a public confession of Jesus will not lead that person to heaven. I think I need to say that again. A faith that will not lead to a public confession of Christ as Lord and Savior will not lead to heaven. You you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, but if you're ashamed to confess Him before men, He will be ashamed of you. 
When the opportunity is given in a church service whatsoever uh, uh, to make an acknowledgement of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot be ashamed to get up out of that seat and walk that aisle and come down to the front and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Amen. Somebody said, well, you can get saved in your seat. You can get saved anywhere. We just went over that. But there's got to be a time when you're not ashamed of him and you get up walking down this to this front and grabbing my hand and me praying for you and with you doesn't save you, amen? Just that, fa- just that fact of, of you doing that. But when you truly believe, when you truly are convicted, when you truly know who Jesus is and know that you need him as your savior, you've got to get up and walk an aisle and stand before a congregation and say, I make Jesus the Lord of my life and I'm not ashamed of him. Woo! Even if you get saved in a, in a car going down the highway, find a church somewhere, walk that aisle that Sunday morning and say, Pastor, I gave my heart to Jesus this week and I want to make a public confession that I am a child of Almighty God and confess Jesus as my Lord. Amen. Ah, that's the importance of water baptism. Not that water baptism washes sins away or saves, because we know that it doesn't. But what does it do? It's an answer of a good conscience toward God. And when that, that candidate comes and we baptize them, Uh, in that service and everybody sitting there watching, it's a public confession that this is what I've done. I've made Christ the Lord of my life and I'm going all the way with him to follow him in believer's baptism. So there's got to be a personal conviction and then there has to be a public confession of our faith. You can't be a secret disciple. You can't hide your light under a bushel. You can't say... I believe that you're going to heaven, but be ashamed of Jesus. Mm. Hallelujah. And I do believe that the time is coming and drawing near in the United States when there's going to be a separation of the wheat from the tares. Because we're coming to a day, I don't know when or how soon or how far off in the future it is, but we're coming to a day in this nation where to stand up and declare that you declare your faith in Jesus Christ is going to cause some persecution. And see, it's already there to a degree, but it's going to get worse before it gets better. Come on, amen. Unless we have a great revival and a great turn around a great spiritual awakening. Praise God. But we've got to make sure that our confession is bold. Amen. We can't be ashamed of Him. When you have that personal conviction, and you make that personal confession, something takes place in your life, then you experience a personal conversion. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus said to Peter when he made that confession, he said, and I also say to you that you are Peter. It's like, Peter, don't you know who you are? You're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, up until this time, now listen to me. Up until this particular time, his name had been Simon Barjona. And that's what Jesus referred to him. Uh, you know, he said, that's right, Simon Barjona. That's your name now, but you, your name now is Peter. So Jesus is making a name change here. Are you listening to me? There's a change that's taking place. So his name had been Simon Barjona, which means unstable. It means a reed that is easily shaken. It's something that's, that's easily moved, unstable, like water's unstable. His name was Simon, but now Jesus calls him Peter. He says, now you're Peter, Petros. And that word Petros means rock. He says, you're a rock now. Hallelujah. It doesn't mean the massive rock that 
Petra does, but it means a fragment of a rock, a part of a rock. And he says, Peter, you're you're a rock. You're Peter. You're a, you're a rock. Your new name. Your name was Shaky, but now I'm changing your name to Rocky. You're not going to be shaky anymore. You're going to, I'm changing your name because I'm changing you. What, what, what's bringing about this change? What's making things different in Peter's life? It's because he had been convicted and knew who Jesus was and made the public profession of who he was. And when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, there's automatically a change. Come on. There's a change that takes place on the inside of your life. That's how easy salvation is. That's the plan of salvation. Amen. He said, you're not going to be shaky anymore. You're not going to be uh, Simon Barjona, but you're now Peter. See, Peter, Peter, he just doesn't have a piece of the rock, but now Peter is a piece of the rock. He's become a partaker now of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something about being a Christian this morning. A Christian, being a Christian is not just being a better person. It's not just turning over a new leaf. A Christian is somebody that's had a miracle of transformation and recreation that's taken place on the inside of them. A Christian is somebody that's become a partaker of the divine nature of Almighty God. A Christian is somebody that has been born from above. A Christian is somebody that has become a new creation in Christ Jesus and all the old things have passed away and all things have become new. Come on, amen. Amen. There's a transformation that takes place in your life when you make that confession of Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. You don't, you don't, you know, you know, you know, some people got the idea that a Christian's just a tadpole, a tadpole that eventually, eventually that tadpole loses its tail and, and goes through a metamorphosis and eventually the tadpole becomes a frog. But I can tell you that a Christian is becoming a Christian is not a tadpole who turns into a frog, but Christians are the frog who turns into a prince because they've been kissed by the grace and the power of Almighty God. Hallelujah. There's a divine supernatural change that takes place in the life of an individual that makes Jesus Christ the Lord of their life. Woo, a complete turnaround in their life. Old things have passed away. The things you used to love, you hate. The things you used to hate, you love. There's a transformation. Only God Almighty can do that. Only Jesus Christ, the Lord of the church, can perform that miracle. Amen? So you and I, we have to have that personal conviction and make that public confession and experience, then experience that powerful conversion. And so when that happens now, you become what? A piece of the rock. Hallelujah. Jesus is the rock, but I'm a piece of the rock. What was that prudential, the insurance company? Get a piece of the rock. Well, I'm telling you, make a confession of Jesus. Get born again. Come into the family of God and get a piece of the rock, the, the rock of ages. Amen. Hallelujah. You become a piece. You become a piece of that rock. The Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. And this is what the New Testament church is built upon. This is what qualifies you to be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only thing. Listen, you're, you're a preacher. You're a little bit dogmatic. You're a little bit uh, narrow-minded here. Well, uh, that's okay. You can call me whatever you want to. But that is the only thing, the only thing that qualifies you to be a part of the true church is, is yielding to that personal conviction, making the public confession, and experiencing a powerful transformation by the power of Almighty. God and being born again. Amen? Many will stand before the Lord on that day and say, oh Lord, well I went to church and I prophesied in your name and I, I did this in your name. And, I, and he'll say, depart. The saddest words they will hear is, depart from me. I never knew you. Bert Clendenin had the vision or the dream that God had given him. Of a, of a, he saw a man in hell waiting through the flames of hell. And reaching down and pulling up, grabbing somebody by the hair, pulling them up out of the flames and looking in their face and throwing them back down. He'd go a little farther and he'd grab another one, pull him up, look in his face and throw him back down. And in the dream, Brother Clendenin said, Lord, what's this man doing? I don't understand. 
And the Lord spoke to him and said, that's a man in hell looking for the preacher that lied to him. So you don't have to like me. You don't have to love me. You don't have to listen to me. But I am going to tell you the truth that is here in the Word of God. Amen? You're not going to ever be able to say, Brother Rick, you lied to me. Brother Rick, you, you, told, me that, that you told me something that wasn't true. I'm going to tell it to you. I'm going to give it to you just like it is here in the Word of God. Because I want everybody in this sanctuary, I want everybody that claims to be a part of abundant life to be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and to make heaven their eternal home and to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Too many churches today, instead of us being a sheepfold, they become a zoo. Places where everybody can get in and nobody can get out. We accept everybody, no matter your lifestyle. And once you're in, you can't lose it. Oh, it's getting quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. That's what's being taught today. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But I'm here to tell you this morning that that's not taught in the Word of God. You can. Somebody emailed me recently and said, can a Christian lose their salvation? I said, no, they cannot lose it, but they can walk away and leave it. You still have your own personal will and choice to make. Churches today are filled with people that are claiming to be saved regardless of what they believe, regardless of their lifestyle. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the church, the church that is built upon a saving confession. Who do you say that I am? And your answer to that question, my answer to that question determines where you and I will spend eternity. This question, this text is a heaven or hell issue. And you'll have to make that judgment concerning Him today. Every person is faced with that. We come to that place where we reject or receive Him. But you and I, all of us, have to make a judgment concerning Jesus Christ and who He is to us. So who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Let me tell you in closing, what the Word of God says He is. Let me tell you who the Bible says that He is. The Bible says that He's the Advocate, the Anointed, the Apostle, the Amen, the Alpha, and the Ancient of Days. The Word of God says that He's the Beginning, the Begotten, the Beloved, the Branch, the Bread, the Bridegroom, and the bright and morning star. The Word of God says He's the bishop of our soul and the brightness of the Father's glory. He's the captain of our salvation. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the counselor, the covenant, and the chosen of God, the Christ. He's the daysman. He's the deliverer. He's the day spring. He's the day star. He's the door. And He's the desire of all nations. He's the elect, He's Emmanuel, and the everlasting Father. The finisher of our faith, the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He's the forerunner, the firstfruits, the faithful witness, and He's the fountain of living waters. He's God, the gift of God. He's the governor, the guide, and the glorious Lord. He's my help and my hope and the horn of my salvation. He's healer and the head of the church. He's the heir of all things and the high priest. He's hell's dread and he's heaven's wonder. That's who my Lord is. He is the Holy One. He's the I am, the inheritance, the image of God's person, immortal and invisible. He's Judah, he's just, he's judge, and he's Jesus. He's the king of Israel, the king of kings, the king of glory, the king everlasting, and he's the king of kings and the Lord of all lords. 
Hallelujah. He's the life, the light. He's love. He's the lily. He's the lion and the lamb and the lawgiver and the living stone and the Lord of glory. He's the messenger and the mediator, the master, the Messiah, the mighty God and the mercy seat. He's the Nazarene, the offspring of David, Omega, the only begotten of God, the offering for sin. He is priest, Passover, potentate, prophet, propitiation, prince of life, prince of peace, and physician. He's righteousness, ransom, rest, the root of Jesse, the root of David, the refiner, the refuge, the resurrection. He's the rose of Sharon, the ruler, and the rock of ages. He's the stone the builders rejected. He's the shepherd, the son of God, the son of man, the shield, the servant, the seed of the woman, the surety, the sufferer, the savior. He's the sinless sacrifice and he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's the teacher, truth, the tabernacle, the testator, the treasure, the tree of life. He's the witness, the word, the way, the wisdom. He is wonderful. That is who Jesus is. Who is he to you today? He's everything to me. Is he everything to you? Hallelujah. Is he everything to you? Worship team, make your way back. Listen, Jesus told Peter, he said, Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church. He didn't say, Jesus didn't say, you will build my church. Are you listening? He didn't say, I will build your church. But Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. The church is Jesus' church. He is the one that builds the church. We're talking today not about a building, but about a group of people that Jesus Christ has redeemed by His shed blood. Jesus Christ is the one building the church. He's the one that adds to it every day. He's the foundation of the church. Not Petros, a little stone, but Petra, a massive rock. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Can I tell you that His church is going to be built? It's built upon those that experience the conviction and make the confession and have the conversion. It's built upon those who have become a piece of that rock and whom Peter referred to in his epistle and said there's one great stone, foundation stone, but we are all living stones, lively stones that come together. We're a piece of that rock that build up and make up this church, a a place of worship where we offer sacrifices of praise to God. You, if you've been convicted, if you've made that confession, if you've been converted and born again, you're a piece, you're a piece of the rock. You got a piece of the rock. You are a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He is the foundation. And can I tell you something this morning? I don't care how much the devil roars. I don't care how much the the powers of darkness rage. I don't care what the liberals have to say. I don't care what they threaten the church with. I'm here to tell you that the church will be built and the church will continue to stand and the church will be completed And what God starts, he will finish. You are on the winning side. I am on the winning side. And his church, his true church, is going through. The gates of hell shall not prevail against God's church. Come on, stand to your feet. And let's give him some praise today. Woo! Praise God. My, 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 my. It's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle washed in the blood of Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. We love you today. Would you bow your heads with me? Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, touch hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name. All our heads are bowed.